This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 197. Well, so then um, I got laid off because it was 2009 and I was working in media in New York and it was a bloodbath, literally. I was just desperate. I mean, I was backed into a corner, you know, like it's unfortunate that often we have to sort of hit kind of like a really big bump in the road or kind of, you know, hit bottom or whatever you kind of analogy you want to use to really force us into action. But that was completely what happened to me. And, you know, in retrospect, I see it as such a gift. It definitely didn't feel like a gift in the moment. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. Decided that maybe, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks and a young family doesn't necessarily go together. Jared was burned out with long hours and high stress. When we started to do the questionnaire and write everything down, we started our pros and cons list, where we wanted to live and who we wanted to be around and all that stuff. Listen for Jared's story later on in the episode to learn how he used coaching to help him figure out what fits him and actually make the change to work he loves. I ended up with my dream job. This is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career, the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. We bring on experts like AJ Harbinger, who coaches introverts and those with social anxiety and gives them the tools that extroverts use to get ahead in their careers, or people that have amazing stories like Matt Toy, who tried many different career paths but couldn't seem to find the right fit until, until he did. These are people that are just like you. They've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. Today's guest is Otto Bernier. An important aspect of Skill Crush, which I think is obvious to anyone who interacts with our brand, is that it is really important that we are, you know, it's a woman-led company. The majority of our students are female. It's not exclusively female, but obviously getting women and minorities and sort of underrepresented groups into tech. And I would, I would actually even put that a different way. It's really about you know, making sure that those communities know how valuable this skill is and that they're totally capable of doing it and can use it to, you know, change their lives in fantastic ways um, is really core to the mission of our organization. In this conversation with Ada, we get we get deep into remote work and how's and why's remote work can be can be a big preference for a lot of us. And you take a take a listen to it, but I think that you're really going to enjoy this because there's a lot of things in here that the people haven't thought about and haven't considered for remote work. Plus, we also talk about her particular company and some of the things that she overcame that allowed her to get to where she wanted she wanted to be and what she had to push past. So these are things that I think that you can apply into your own life as well. Take a listen. You know, what I did back when I was a full-time developer versus what I do now is obviously very different. I think one of the great ironies of my life is that, um, you know, I set out to sort of get more more people in general um, into development, and that led to me almost never coding. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think at this point, I um, people are pretty familiar with, you know, websites, obviously. So I think I probably just 
you know, it used to be that I said I built them and, and now I just say that I teach people how to build them. Um, so I think I just try to put it in terms of the actual output that people are used to interacting with. Um, but obviously if people dive deeper into it, um, yeah, there's, you know, there's so much, there's so much more. Yes, there is. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, and that's part of what's like interesting and exciting. And one of the things that attracted me to it is sort of this feeling of like, here we are all interacting with the output of what coders do all day long. I mean, literally all day long. Like I just, I like, I remember talking to my um, sister-in-law and saying, you know, like think about the impact that like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook has had on your life. Like you used to not even know what that was. And now you visit the website like 25 times a day. Um, so we're all interacting with it, but it is really interesting because the actual work that goes into it is so hidden from view and we don't see it at all. Um, oh my so it is, it is hard yeah. to, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I was trying to explain it to everyone and then I had to like, you know, build the whole class and then a series of classes and then a whole company around <laughs> that process. So Here, here's what's fascinating to me though, is first of all, you haven't, you haven't always taught other people to build websites, to code, to do development and everything that goes along with it, you know, that, that started somewhere. So where, where did that actually start for you? The actual process of doing it myself. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly what led up to that? Cause I know it wasn't just one, one particular event. It was kind of a series of events if I understood correctly. So help me, under, oh, help me understand that. What was the yeah, story behind that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I basically graduated from college and moved to New York and I had, um, I had been an art, the studio art major. And so I came to New York planning to like, I don't know, make a living as an artist, which is hilarious now in retrospect, but the time seemed completely reasonable and, uh, quickly found out some of, you know, got some hard knocks in that realm. Um, and started then, um, I was able to, fortunately though, cause I was a photo, um, a photographer. So I was able to sort of parlay that into work as a photo editor at an online magazine. And that was really my first exposure to the production side of digital media. So starting to just, honestly, like even just meeting my first developer who like worked as a developer, like I don't, up until that point, I don't think I really understood that that was like a job title that someone could have. This is like a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like up until that point, you know, websites had just arrived on my computer and I had given absolutely no thought to how that happened. Um, well, it's just like you said, it's, I mean, it's hidden in the background. You see this pretty or maybe not so pretty website and you don't realize how much has gone into that to be able to show it up on your screen, even if there's only five pages on that website. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think one of the big sort of revelations early in my career was really starting to understand that, like, everything we interact with was made by someone, right? Like, you know, there there are a team of designers, for example. I mean, we now, I think, you know, more and more this is becoming obvious. And, like, there was a big demonstration by Apple just a couple of days ago. So now we are starting to understand that, like, yeah, there's some, you know, there's some lab somewhere where people like think of what the iPhone X is going to be like, but I still think it's relatively disembodied to a lot of us. Um, and it, that was kind of like a huge revelation to realize like, Oh, when I visit google.com, like someone has decided that this should like look like this. Yeah. I don't know. You know, like, I think we just have this idea that it just like, that it just comes from the machine <laughs> like organically. Um, so I basically was working on an online magazine and got my first exposure to, um, just the idea that, you know, there is code and it is what runs these websites and there's people who write it and that's what they do for their jobs. 
And, um, and that was really interesting to me, but it was also very, very intimidating. So I think that, you know, um, you know, if you're out there feeling kind of like, oh, I'm intrigued, but I'm also really scared. Like I really, really felt that way, um, for a very long time, honestly, like what, I look what back caused at that it. for you. I'm super curious about that. Like as you, as you got exposure to that and as you were intimidated about that, what, what made it so intimidating for you? I think that it's, you know, part of it is this sort of magic nature of it that we don't see it, right? Like, I think that even if I'm intimidated by the prospect of like building a table, I can like look at a table and understand that like it used to be a tree and that, and then someone like cut it and you know what I mean? Like you can kind of start to like put it together on your own, Yeah. but Oh, like, that's just so not the, like, you know, like literally we interact with this, with websites all day long, every day. And yet most of us have never seen a line of code before. And then I also think there's something specific about like code, like even just the name of it, right. It's like very cryptic. <laughs> uh, and then I think the culture of it, yeah. you know, and this is part of what we're working on changing at skill crash, but I think the culture of it is very like, you know, like I know a secret and you don't know, you're not in on that secret kind of style. And obviously too, like it's a very masculine culture. It's a very sort of, um, you know, it has a lot of kind of resemblance to like, you know, I don't know, math and geekiness and like just all these things. There's just so much baggage around it. So I think, you know, all of that kind of like comes together in this crazy, like cloud. Um, and I think it just, you know, resulted in me being very intimidated and being very literally like, you know, for a long time, I was like, I wanted so badly to learn how to code. And I was afraid to try because I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it. You know, I was like convinced, literally, you know, at this point I had like, you know, graduated from college and I don't know, you know, not accomplished a ton of things, but like had, a, you know, been able to sort of conquer most things I had tried my hand at. Yeah. Um, and I, but I was like, this, this is going to be the one, like, I'm going to find the limit yeah. of my skill and it's going to be here. And I don't, you know, and I'm terrified of that. So interesting that, I mean, that totally makes sense. So then, so then what happened from there? Well, so then, um, I got laid off, um, cause it was 2009 and I was working in media in New York and it was a bloodbath literally. Um, and I, um, and I basically was, you know, really poor and living. Cause I mean, at that point I had never, I had only been working for a couple of years and I didn't have any savings because I'd been living in New York making not a lot of money. Um, and so, you know, I was like, okay, like here's a, I don't know, it was like 300 and something dollars. Something is what I was getting a week for unemployment. And I don't even think it covered. I think that barely would have covered my rent at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was just desperate. I mean, I was backed into a corner, you know, like I, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that often we have to sort of hit kind of like a really big bump in the road or kind of, you know, hit bottom or whatever you kind of analogy you want to use to really force us into action. But that was completely what happened to me. Like I, you know, in retrospect, I see it as such a gift. Uh, it definitely didn't feel like a gift in the moment. They never do at the time. <laughs> no. But I literally just, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I just got laid off and I, had nothing to do. And I was, I, you know, someone had given me some really good advice, which I really appreciate. And what they had said is that when you're looking for work, um, don't spend all day sending out resumes, like limit yourself to like an hour or two a day and then take the rest of the time to do something productive. Because, um, you know, they said like, you will just, if you don't limit yourself, you will spend 
you know, eight to 10 hours a day, just like, like refreshing Craigslist, which is what we all used at the time. Um, and it really like, it is diminishing returns. Like you're not going to get more out of it. The more hours. <laughs> Plus um, if you respond five minutes sooner than the next applicant that, uh, you know, is, is not particularly effective. Yeah. And, and, and we all know that, you know, applying to job listings online, like it, it has, like it can work, yeah. but it's not always the most effective way to get work. Exactly. Um, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so I just, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands and I was like, okay, like, you know, now my, my need to, you know, make a change in my life and, um, you know, get work that is better and more valued and, um, higher paying was greater than my fear of, um, you know, trying to learn how to code and not being able to do it. So, um, so I went for it and honestly it changed my life and it changed my life faster than I could have ever imagined in my wildest fantasies. In, in what ways? It just, you know, like obviously like it wasn't like the next day, but I, you know, I got a paying gig, which was just that someone hired me. Um, I think they paid me like a thousand dollars to build them a website, which honestly at that time was like, you know, life-saving money. Um, it's and like three months rent. Yeah. I was like, I can live off of this forever. Um, and you know, and then she recommended me to another person and I think I like tripled the rate for the next person. And, um, and then I, you know, and then I just started doing, like I did a, a project, um, with two friends of mine for free, but we submitted it to this competition and then we got third place in the competition. And then I met like the chancellor of New York city schools. And then he introduced me. So I just, it was just crazy. Um, and it just felt like there was like this weird, like, I, you know, at the time I was kind of, I had been kind of trying to make my way in the New York media scene. And that is very much a, a culture. And I think partially, like, especially at that time. And I think this is true today too. Like it's not necessarily, um, an industry that has a lot of, it's not growing. Right. So it's, it's really struggling. And so it definitely felt like, trying to get a foothold was just so hard. And it's, it's very, you know, there's ladders to climb and all of that kind of stuff. And, and then on the flip side, you know, I sort of, I felt like I was kind of like walking into these kind of these tech meetings or awards or whatever, and having like the carpet rolled out in front of me. Um, and it was just such a different, it was just so different. So it just felt like it so, yeah. yeah. It's like you're facing adversity over, over here and have been. And then on the other side, it's working really much better than expected. Sounds like to say the least. Is that? Oh, completely. I mean, I really, at the time, like I look back at the skills quote unquote I had at the time, like it's hilarious, you know, like I had no, I don't know if I had no business being there, but I just, I, 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 most of what I had at the time was like interest and willingness to like show up. Right. Like it really wasn't that I was a skilled person, uh -huh. but that was enough to get me all these opportunities and all these like amazing meetings. Um, you know, and, and, and what was funny, I mean, what was amazing about it too, is that I was actually, I basically, what I did is I switched from working on kind of the writing, um, editing photography side of, of media production to working on the digital side. And it was just, it was like night and day. It doesn't even begin to like scratch the surface of how different the experience. Like I literally felt like doors were being like flung, like doors I would have been beating against for years on one side were being flung open for me. Um, and before I knew it, I was literally freelancing for every major media organization that I really respected in New York. Um, and it was just insane. That is amazing, first of all. 
But then how did that lead you down the road? What took place to where you actually started thinking about doing something like Skill Crush and what you do today, being able to teach other people to do something similar? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that I think there's not a lot of people who can work in the technology industry for long without kind of getting bitten by the bug of wanting to go out <laughs> and create something on your own. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, so what I did for the first two years was I actually ended up creating a business with a friend of mine and we were sort of working together as a group to freelance and, um, and we were getting hired by media organizations to do these like data visualizations at the time that was kind of new and hot and, and it kind of was snowballing very quickly. And all of a sudden we were getting bigger and bigger clients and we were having to hire a team and all this stuff. And it was amazing because I learned so much. Like when you work as a hired gun in that capacity, like you just go from project to project and you just learn so much so quickly because you're working in all these different environments with different people and different um, technologies and a different set of, you know, problems that you're trying to solve. But what I started to find was that I was really wanting to work on one project for a longer period of time because it's sort of this experience where you work so hard on something and it's like your baby and then you hand it off to someone else and then you have no idea. Did it work? Did it not work? You know, like you never really get that feedback loop. Um, you never get to kind of go around one, you know, a couple more times. And so I was really craving having a project of our own. Um, and honestly, like we experimented with like, a, you know, a couple of different things and then, sorry. And then also the other context is that like, you know, tech at this moment is like, you know, all over the place and everyone's starting to start up and raising money and doing all these fancy things. And, you know, you kind of are like, you know, why, why not me? Um, so we were, you know, yeah, so we were playing around with a lot of different stuff. Um, and it was really interesting because we had all these different kind of, um, irons in the fire and skill crush. Um, it really, it wasn't called skill crush at the time. And we definitely had no vision for what was it. The, what was the first name? <laughs> digital divas. Um, yeah, and digital actually, divas. <laughs> yeah. And the great part of it, I can send you a picture of these in, in email is that it actually wasn't a website. It was actually a deck of cards. Really? Um, yeah, it was like very, very MVP. It was like this little deck of cards that we designed, um, that just, it was like each card was like really beautifully designed and then ex explained a technical term in like a really fun and easy to understand way. And this was completely a side project that we were just doing for fun. Yeah. But it was one of those interesting experiences, which I think, you know, most entrepreneurs who've been in entrepreneurship for a while can understand, which is that like, um, you don't always know what people are going to be interested in and respond to. And it was definitely one of those experiences where it was like, we were doing all these things and being really earnest and working really hard on these other projects that we thought were like serious and like nobody cared <laughs> about them. And then we would kind of like, they would like catch wind somehow of this like digital diva deck. And they would like be like, Oh, this is amazing. I love these, you know, and just really, really respond to them. Um, so it was definitely an experience of kind of like the first inklings of like starting to understand understand how to listen to the, what the market tells you and really follow that instead of doing what you think is, you know, the, the quote unquote right business or good idea or whatever it is. Which I think that is, I, I don't think that's just true for entrepreneurship either though. I think that if you're thinking about your career at the same time, I think if you've got that sensitivity to what is working or you're actively looking for what is working and, and what people are responding to, whether it be, yeah. Hey, I'm a, I'm a badass at Excel. Well, why are they responding to that? And I'm totally making this up off the top of my head, but I think that that is, 
that is something that can be very useful everywhere, especially when you're, you know, starting a business or starting multiple businesses. But I mean, I think actually, if you look back at the story I just told you about learning to code and the impact that had on my career, I think it's the same dynamic, right? Like I, I had thought that I wanted to write, um, yeah, or, or be a radio producer or, or something like that. And I just, you know, had been beating my head against a wall and then had gotten laid off trying to do that. Um, and then found that it was totally different when I wanted to, you know, when I started developing. So I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely believe that both, you know, sort of making your way up any sort of career ladder and entrepreneurship. I mean, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense that both of them share that in common that you really should look at, you know, what are people responding to and go towards that. So so out of that, you mentioned at some point you had the, well, why not me? Tech is going, and you made the sound effect. We're totally playing that back and like putting it on Twitter or something like that. Yeah. And (laughs) you do it way better than I do. And what, what, do you remember what led up to, or what, uh, what were those why not me moments? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, so I part, an important aspect of skill crush, which I think is obvious to anyone who interacts with our brand is that it is really important that we are, um, you know, it's a woman led company. The majority of our students are female. It's not exclusively female, but, um, yeah obviously getting women and minorities and sort of underrepresented groups into tech. And I would, I would actually even put that a different way. It's really about, you know, making sure that those communities know how valuable this skill is and that they're totally capable of doing it and can use it to, you know, change their lives in fantastic ways um, is really core to the mission of our organization. And I think that there is an extent to which, um, you know, there was, all this crazy stuff, you know, going on in tech and all these like sort of young guys were starting these, you know, outrageously successful companies. Um, and I think it's funny cause it's like this funny, like double-edged sword where on one hand, I think that being a woman in the technology industry and entrepreneurship has made me very insecure because it's really hard to be like the only, like one of the only ones and kind of not have those role models. And, um, I think there is this fundamental question of like, can I do it? Um, can women do it? Like, I, you know, I think that even if like rationally, I'm like, yes, women can do it. That doesn't always mean that you feel that. Um, but I also think that that was sort of like, you know, I think I'm one of those people who's like, all right, challenge accepted. (laughs) So I think there was this extent to which I, um, you know, was attracted to the challenge of that, where yeah. I, I think I did have this question of like, you know, why not me? And it was like, well, here's like, you know, 300,000 reasons for why not you. And I was like, okay, well now I really want to do it. Um, and try to prove that this is something that I can do, even though I don't at all fit the profile. Um, well, I don't know. It's, it's complicated though, because I feel like in some ways I do perfectly fit the profile of sort of that young tech entrepreneur, except for that I'm a woman. So, um, except for that you're what? A woman. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I would say that you, yeah, I would say that you do, and I love the impact that you've been having on paving the way so that it is not the, you know, white male in tech. I'm a white male, so you know, <laughs> I'll t- I'll take any advantage I guess I can get that's uh, out there in the world. However, I mean, it is very or has been up until the last ten years. Um, how did you put it earlier? Kind of that, that closed off secretive type club. 
Definitely. Definitely. And listen, like I, I, I'm not, I'm not defending people treating it like a secret club, but it's like they, they were into something really, really good. (laughs) So (laughs) I mean, you know, let's share the handshake just a a few more times. (laughs) I mean, right. I think the thing is, is that, I mean, I think the bottom line is like, it's not, this is not a zero sum game, meaning that if more people come into the tech world, like the whole, it's, it really is like the whole thing gets bigger. So exactly. um, What is the, the quote? I totally forget it about, uh, I don't know, all ships float. Yes. Yeah. No, right. It's all both. Thank you. Thank you. That is why I had you here. Cause I knew that you'd have my back on that one. Yeah. No, I think that's a great one. And also just this idea of like, you know, the more people who are, who are a part of it, I really do believe like the bigger the tech industry gets, the more exciting the innovations get, um, you know, the more applicable they become, you know, you know, I don't know if like we want to go into this, but sort of like, what is the problem with having like a not diverse, um, group of workers in the tech industry? And the problem is, is that they have a really limited understanding of what problems need to be solved. Um, you know, so the more people that enter the tech industry and the greater the sort of diversity of perspectives, the more interesting the solutions can be, the more problem problems that they're going to start to solve, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And sort of the more innovation will happen, happen faster. I couldn't agree more. And I'm a little bit biased because I used to do HR for a while. So I mean, part of my job at one point in time for several years was bringing more diversity and not in a lot of people think diversity in terms of like race or, um, or, you know, women or anything like that. But it's, it's much more about broader set of experiences and cultures and, and experiential definitions and everything else. And it just creates such a richer product, no matter what environment you're in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and this becomes particularly acute if you are creating products for an audience that is not represented on the creation side. Right. Yeah. So very cool. It literally made me sick. The anxiety, um, the stress that I was under. Jared's job was obviously not a fit for him decided that maybe, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks and a young family doesn't necessarily go together. So I knew I needed help and I knew I wasn't going to be able to do this by myself. So Jared came to us looking for help and found that in one-on-one coaching. You can let life happen to you or you can happen to your life. As we worked with him, Jared and his wife really had to figure out what they really actually wanted to do when we started to do the questionnaire and write everything down. We started our pros and cons with where we wanted to live and who we wanted to be around and all that stuff. All those things added up over time into final discussions of, okay, well, this is what I can do and this is what I can't do and this is what I need to do and this is how much travel I'll do in my job, this is how much time I will spend you know, during the week and these are the concessions that I can make, what are the concessions that you can make and all that. It kind of just all just piled on to the end. Jared did a phenomenal job, not just designing the life and career that he actually wanted, but then taking the steps to make that happen. I ended up with my dream job. Congratulations to Jared on finding work that he loves and fits his family's needs at the same time. If you want help to figure out what work fits you and find that fulfilling career that lights you up and gives you purpose, find out how coaching can help you step-by-step. Go to happenyourcareer.com and click on coaching to apply or... Pause this and text my coach 
to 44222. That's text my coach to 44222. We'll send over the application quicker than two shakes of a lamb's tail or however that goes. Well, hey, I, I know, especially after talking to your team and interacting with your team and understanding how fantastic your team is, that all of them are remote. Yes. Spread all over the place. Wh- mm-hmm. Where are some of the places that your, your team hails from at this point? Uh, I'm trying to think of the most exotic ones I can tell you. I do have someone working in Finland and Romania. Romania. Um, Yeah. And I actually have another one who sort of has been bouncing between Singapore and Germany. Those are kind of the most exotic. Otherwise, it's all over the U.S. and Canada. It's great. I've learned, although now don't test me on them because now I won't remember. But at some point in the recent past, I knew all of the major crap, what do they call them? It's not territories, but it's like, uh, some, whatever the equivalent of States in Canada, which I had never known before. It's like really embarrassing how little I knew about Canada until I started hiring all these Canadians. And I was like, Oh, there's all these big cities up there. And there's these different States, um, provinces, provinces. Yes. Yes, Yes. exactly. I was, it was escaping me too. And I used to go to Canada all the time. I used to live 20 minutes from Canada in the border. Uh, So much so that when I was growing up, everybody like, I had a Canadian accent almost. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I love the meeting. So. Yeah, eh? And yeah. so we have we have our entire team remote, too. Um, our most exotic is Bali right now. We've got a team of oh. living in, in Bali for three months. That is exotic. That's hard, too. I mean, that's been a big, you know, you know, if we want to talk about the challenges of growing a remote team, it's been interesting how much more difficult it has been to accommodate different, you know, when we started, it was like very easy. We had people literally all over the world. Um, and we're very happy to accommodate their time zones. But I will say, as we've grown, that's become harder and harder. I'm like, Bali, that's a hard time zone to accommodate. For <laughs> it is. It's been interesting. It's been interesting learning and growth for us as a company because uh, she's the only one in Bali right at the moment. And most of the other other ones are kind of spread uh, closer to U.S. time zones than yeah. Bali, as it turns out. I, I do maybe want to dig into a little bit of that, but I'm, I'm super curious. People at this point have probably heard about remote work and different types of flexible work and all kinds of stuff like that. It's getting a lot of buzz and press and blah, 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 blah. But what is the deal with remote work? Why is that potentially desirable for people in the first place? Um, so remote work, or it's sometimes called distributed work, um, is really just working outside of an office environment and, or let me put it this way outside of sort of like a headquarter office environment. So in some instances, you know, there are remote teams that will work in an office, but away from kind of the main office. The model that we use is that everyone works from wherever it is that they live. So they don't, it doesn't mean they all work from home. Many of them um, rent offices or go to co-working spaces, but we don't have a centralized office. Um, we just kind of, you know, live on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Us too. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so we don't put any restrictions in terms of, I mean, I guess we we don't put any restrictions in terms of where people live. I will say that, you know, as we've grown, like I said, we've had to, you know, make sure that people work within time zones that work for us. And obviously if they wanted to work, live somewhere crazy and just, you know, work crazy hours, um, we would be fine with that. But um 
yeah, so that's what re- that's what remote, you know, means, at least in the context of our company. I think, you know, I think for a lot of people, because I'll tell you, like, this is easily the number one um, thing that people are looking for when they find skill crush, like, yeah. you know, we get an enormous amount of, um, traffic to all of our resources on remote work. So I think there is an enormous demand for this kind of work. And my sense is that for a lot of people, um, it's either, you know, they live in a place where there's not a lot of economic opportunity. So they're looking for better job opportunities, but without having to sort of uproot their lives. Um, or they're just looking for, you know, a work situation that's more flexible. So that's going to accommodate, um, you know, their need to not have to commute into an office every day, um, or that kind of thing. Well, with, with that flexibility, I'm curious what some of the reasons that you encounter, uh, people are desiring that additional flexibility. What, what, what have you found? I I've got a whole list of my own opinions and reasons and blah, 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 everything else. But I'm super curious from your perspective, what you've seen. And also why people are coming to you too, since we've been talking about that. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, most of the reasons why people want to work remote, I think are exactly what you would think they are, which is that many of them are taking care of their families. Um, so whether that is children or parents, um, you know, and therefore are looking for a situation that will allow them to work and be a contributing, you know, member of the economy while still being able to, um, you know, meet the needs of their family members without also losing their minds (laughs) (laughs) because that's that's preferable. Um, and, um, I'm trying to think, I was like, I think there's like, I, I, well, and then I think just also people want to live, you know, outside of, you know, New York, and Silicon Valley. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's other cities in the world. I know. I don't Are know. Are you sure? Uh, I don't know if you're aware. But there's this whole state called Washington yeah. and there's the one city, Seattle. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think those are, you know, I would say those are the two, um, you know, and then also you have a lot of people who like, who maybe, I mean, you know, it's hard to be married. Right. And it's hard. Like, I, I, I don't say that as like, Oh, it's so difficult to be married to someone, but like oh. it's a negotiation, right? Like you, yeah. It's like whose career is going to come first. And, you know, maybe they have, you know, like I've had multiple employees who've had to move um, some of them many times within a couple of years for their spouse's careers. And if they were not able to, you know, work remote, like they just really wouldn't have been able to stay in the workforce, honestly, um, given all of the location geographical changes that they would have had to make. So that's been the interesting thing for me, too, is although I don't think remote work is for everybody. Because some people very much need that environment where they are interacting directly with somebody in person on a very regular basis and for Mm -hmm. certain personalities and things like that. But, oh my goodness, you know, the opportunities around that, like that question that you just posed is like, hey, whose career is going to come first? Well, it may not necessarily have to be that type of question. That question may not even be relevant in the in the same way even more with the advent of, of remote work and much more flexible work like that. So I think it changes some of those questions too, to some degree. I'm, I'm super curious about, since you have a remote team and so many people are, are coming to you because they have that interest in working remotely, what do you perceive as the differences in autonomy in many remote environments? And what, what, what does that look like in your mind? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's, so the first company I ran, we did have an office. 
Um, but it was a much smaller team. Um, so I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking like, what are the really, like, if I can think back what the really big differences are. I mean, I think that, um, when you run a remote team, like you really have to build a lot of trust in your team members because you don't have that kind of like, I'm going to sit here and watch over you dynamic. Um, so it is really about sort of trust and accountability. And, you know, at this point we work really hard. It's, it's, you know, like this like question of flexibility, like how much flexibility do people have? Um, it's really like, we don't, um, there's not like a set policy per se. It's really, you have to be accountable to your team. So you can't let your team down. So like, if like, you're welcome to go take a yoga class in the middle of the day, but not if it like blocks your team members for two hours while you're gone. Right. Like it's all about sort of the, the, that process of feedback of, you know, is this working for the team? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, I guess like, you probably need to be a little bit more of a self-starter um, because you're not going to get that same sort of oversight. But I, I don't know. I mean, I also don't know if it's that different because like we meet all the time and we track all of our processes. It's not, you know, it's not like we're 30 people just kind of working independently at all. We're actually an incredibly, um, you know, tightly structured team like we run a very tightly structured process and team environment um, and have an enormous amount of collaboration. I think, you know, I actually think that sometimes with remote work, you kind of have to be more um, intense about those processes. Like I was talking to a friend of mine who was working yeah. at a startup here in New York that is about 50 people. And she was sort of complaining to me that there's very little structure in place um, and process and like no process or documentation and all that stuff. And I was kind of like, like 50 people, like how the heck is that functional? It sounds like complete chaos. And, um, you know, the kind of conclusion that she and I came to was that, you know, when you're in person, you like, as long as relationships are good between people, you can kind of get away with that stuff for a little bit longer than I think you can with a remote working environment. Like, I'll tell you that with us, like once we got to like, I mean, even once we got to like 12 people, but especially when we got to 25, it was like, I mean, it was complete, utter non-functional chaos until we implemented some structures. Um, so I think in that way, it actually forces you to be more rigid um, and disciplined in a way that's really, you know, healthy. And I'm really thankful for it. That's that's interesting. So how much do you think it influences the ability or need, uh, maybe both sides of the coin, I suppose, for decision-making about how the work gets done or does it? Uh, I think it does. I mean, I think you cannot run a remote organization for very long or a very large one without having very tight processes. Um, because I do think that, you know, my, my guess having not having experienced it personally, but my, my guess is that a lot of those things can kind of get patched over in person in a way that they just, you know, the wheels completely fly off the bus when you're remote. Um, but I will, another thing that I think is funny is that I, my sense is that for a lot of people, like, you know, who are thinking about hiring remote workers, they're kind of like, Oh, but like, how do I make sure that they're like really putting in eight hours or like really doing the work that they're supposed to be doing. And I will tell you that our experience is actually very much the opposite problem. Yeah. Very consistently. We've had a problem where we have to really work with our employees to, you know, to make sure that they set appropriate boundaries with their work, um, and really don't burn themselves out because in my experience with remote workers, that's the tendency. It's not to work too little. It's actually to work way too much. 
That's interesting. We've had the same experience and I've seen a lot of studies recently, very recently, that not a lot, several studies that have indicated the exact same thing, but it's totally counterintuitive. It is. It totally is. Like, it's so, it is so funny because I think, you know, when people think about, like, I hear this from people all the time, they're like, oh, I could never work from home. I would just like do my dishes and like whatever. Um, <laughs> and what, what I actually see happen is that no, what ends up happening is that you're like, you know, you have your computer on your lap at 1030 at night and you're like typing away, um, and weekends and holidays and all that stuff. So do you think that, and I'm totally wondering, just realizing that maybe there's potential for this now. Do you think that because remote work is still semi a novelty and people still value it much more that it's attracting the types of people that uh, are, <laughs> are going to put in the extra hours or their tendency is to put in more work than is probably healthy for them or some variation? I think there yeah, I mean, I think there could be some truth in that, just in that, like, I mean, I can just use the example of my students. So a lot of my students are students are, are looking for remote work. And, you know, like I look at these, like a lot of these like women, especially, and I'm like, these are women who are spending there's like the tiny little bit of free time that they have, like working their asses off, learning how to code um, nights and weekends in order to like make this better life for themselves. Like they are so, these are like, they're so smart. They're so motivated and they're just sort of caught with these like, you know, sort of geographic or time or whatever structural, um, challenges that they're trying to overcome. So I think that, you know, to a certain extent, what you're saying is true. Like, I think that the, the people who, you know, sort of have the smarts to know, to look for remote work, um, are probably at this point, somewhat on the forefront. Of- well, I, yeah. I wonder if it's kind of what you said too. It's those types of people that are, <laughs> that are interested in that, where it's creating a quote unquote better life for them. And so you value it more. And I think you're willing to put more in too, or at least I wonder if that's the case. I have no, well, no data to indicate. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, like, obviously like we're talking about like, Oh yeah. Like these people are so great who to, you know, sort of to, to know to do this. But I mean, I think there's also just this, I think, I think there's a lot of people who would love to work, for example, like, I mean, let's just talk about women who leave the workforce, right? So there's all these horrifying statistics about how like 60% of women who leave for just a year, never go back to any sort of full-time work. And, you know, I think I will quote that statistic to people and and people will be like, yeah, but like how many of them want to be, um, you know, maybe they don't want to work. And I was recently on an interview, um, and cause I hadn't had data for this, but this woman told me this statistic and obviously let's all take it with a grain of salt. But she said (laughs) that there was a survey where they asked women that question and 70% of them said that they would want to, but they just couldn't find an opportunity that could work for them. So to a certain extent, like it's very hard to find these opportunities right now. So it makes sense that the people who manage to find them are extremely motivated. That said, like, I think that doesn't mean to suggest, like, that doesn't mean that the other people who sort of haven't been able to find those opportunities wouldn't be amazing contributors in a variety of different ways. And I think that's really sort of part of the mission of Skill Crash is to go and like tell people that this is available to them. Um, you know, and not just remote work, but also just sort of, you know, freelance work or, um, at, you know, different variations on how to work in technology. That's kind of what we focus on. But I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity, um, 
for people. And I don't think that there is enough. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I just don't feel like enough people are helping those like sort of it's, I just, I, I think there's a lot of ways in which our economy and the way that we work is it's just a very inefficient system, Agreed. right? Like there's all these, this data about how many jobs there are unfilled. And then there's all this, all these people unemployed, right? So like there's some, there's, you know, there's a problem here. If you didn't so even think, know the rest of the data, you know that there's some inefficiencies there. Exactly. And so I think, you know, like a lot of what, you know, to, to talk about in a very sort of macroeconomic sense, like that is really part of what we're trying to figure out at Scale Crush is how to, um, you know, solve the problem on both, on both ends. That's interesting. So we, we are very much passionate about getting rid of some of those inefficiencies too. We're, we are tackling it from a slightly different lens in that there are so many people out there that are in jobs that they feel like they have to be that were, I don't know, they took what was available to them and maybe isn't what they should be doing because it's not, not great for their strengths, not great for their skill set, or not great for their potential. And you know, there, when you're in a role like that, like you're, you're, you're not producing as much as you could be compared to if you're in a role that's a great fit and lines up with your life and the things that you want and everything that goes along with it. And that creates a bunch of inefficiencies too. So this is, this is super interesting. And I think that remote work, based on what we just talked about, isn't for everybody, but it can help with a huge part of that too. And some uh, be some of the ways to be able to make those happier, I'm going to call them happier situations happen. And so I'm super curious then how... How then would you advise people to get to that? If they're interested in working remotely, if they're interested in having more flexibility, what are some of the things that you would advise them to consider or think about or be able to make it happen? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the challenges that we have because when we get a lot of people who are interested in remote work is that you know, the, the limitation there is just about how many employers are hiring remotely. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot more people who want remote work than there are employers offering it. But I don't think that means that, you know, those people, those, the people who are looking to work remotely, like their problem can't be solved. And what we really, you know, believe in is that technology is just, it has brought down the barriers of like starting your own business or working freelance um, it has brought those barriers down so low. Like I often think about this with skill crush. Like I think about, you know, um, honestly, like I, I got really lucky and got into a startup incubator, which gave me a little bit of money, but, and I think, but I, I really do believe that the value of that money was less the actual money. And it was more just the validation of having someone say, this is a good idea and I'm going to sort of support you in it. Um, but, and so, you know, so I really believe that, you know, for me, the cost of starting this company was really, really low. Um, and I had, I mean, I had $0 to put into doing it. So I kind of just had my own, you know, sweat equity and, you know, and I, and I am like, you know, why isn't everyone doing what I did? And I think, I think the only reason why is that, they don't know to do it. Like they don't know how to do it and they don't even know that it's possible. Um, so, you know, I think that's really the our mission and is to, to sort of explain that to people. And in, you know, at scale crush, we focus specifically on technical skills. And the reason why we do that is because they're incredibly marketable. 
there is so much work to be had. And both, I mean, literally there are, you know, the quote, like the, the quotes from the Bureau of Labor Statistics is that there's over 700,000 open jobs in technology with no one to fill them. So this isn't like, oh, but like the next crop of computer science graduates graduating this year will fill all 700,000. It's like even considering that group of people who's going to graduate, there's still 700,000 open jobs. Um, and the demand and- is growing. And the demand is growing on top of it. And I really actually think that that's a very conservative number because it doesn't account for all the people who need short-term help. So, you know, all the small businesses. Um, And, you know, I'm, and I really do believe that learning technical skills will be a good idea for everyone in every industry because technology is, it's not really an industry onto itself. It's the new way that we all do business. Um, But I think it's really about, you know, it's, it's finding that perfect, you know, Venn diagram and of a thing that you enjoy that, you know, that when, where it meets like a real demand in the marketplace, um, and whether that demand comes in the form of lots of open jobs or lots of freelance work, um, you know, depends on your situation. But I think that's really, and I, I, I feel like, unfortunately that can sound really difficult or like that can sound like it's a tall order, but um, I think there are ways to figure that stuff out. What are some of the ways that you've encountered that have either been helpful to you personally, or you've seen be helpful to other people? Um, you know, I think, I think just like anything, it's a process of iteration. So I think you have to start somewhere. Um, and then, you know, something that I tell people, <laughs> cause I get a lot of people come to me and they say, Oh, I really don't want to start a business. You know, this is my idea, blah, 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 blah. And I'm, I'm sort of like there to like, not discourage them, but sort of try to give them like, you know, the cold, hard truth and then, you know, see what they do with it. And I like what- that about you. You've done a little <laughs> bit of that here today. I, I personally yeah. greatly appreciate that because not everybody well, does that. I think it's interesting because I, I like, I was actually literally just having breakfast with a friend of mine and he wants to start a clothing line. And what I was saying to him is I was like, listen, like at some point you kind of have, are going to have to come to this point where you're going to have to decide, like, am I more invested in running a business or am I more invested in sort of executing against this like idea I have, meaning this kind of like, he has like a very specific idea of like what the clothing will look like and what the brand will be and all of those things. And it's not that like you, you know, it's not that you should kind of like, um, throw everything that you care about away. But I think that at some point you kind of have, you, like I just experienced, I will say for myself that there is a point at which you kind of have to come to terms with the fact that running a business is number one about business and number two about everything else. <laughs> and, um, and I think that when you hear that, and even as I say it, I'm like, well, that sounds so negative and like mercenary. But the truth is, is that that's actually really it. Like, so I think it's really easy from the outside to find that very discouraging, but actually in my experience, like that's really beautiful because what it means is that you have to put the needs of your customer ahead of like your own fantasies and desires and like visions of what something can be. And I think everyone's fear is that that'll be sort of a race to the bottom. Like, I don't know, I'll soon I'll be making diet pills or something because that's what everyone <laughs> wants. But what I have found is that if you are, have really sort of focused clearly on a specific group of people and you have clearly defined their problem, that process of like, of putting their needs first and really listening to them and thinking about them and like making it about serving them and not about sort of executing on your own vision, um, leads to, will lead you to a product that you could never have that is better than like what you could have ever 
create it on your own. Um, and I think sort of learning to embrace that process. And I think that starts really small. It starts with, oh, I think I'm learning, interested in learning to code. Oh, wow. Look, like all these people seem to need websites. Like, okay, well, I'll learn more about that. You know, I think it can start really small, but I think, um, you know, you just like, you know, you'll start by learning to code. And before you know, it, you'll be running a 30 person company. Um, <laughs> having anxiety about how it's going to grow to 40. What's going to do to your, uh, your processes. Um, I hope that was clear. No, I don't no, know. Actually, that was super clear. One of the things that I've always found fascinating is I've gotten older and more experienced and realized how much I don't know now that I'm more experienced. I realize that there's so many things out there that get quoted around like, you know, the business of business is business or, you know, random things like that, uh, that have become cliched and people don't understand the layers underneath that. Like, you know, your first order of business is, is running the business. And what I think you did really well is breaking down the layers underneath that most people just totally miss because I, I very much believe the same exact thing that, it's it's got to be about the business first, but that really truly means it's about the people that that business serves and the people that are in that business, you know, more so yeah. than anything else. And frankly, like I, I mean, you know, this is, this is actually really gets to the heart of why I love being in business and being an entrepreneur. Like yeah. I find that whole process so gratifying. Like there is like, it's like, I mean, all I have ever lived for is like a clear grading system or like a ranking system that I can conquer. Right. So <laughs> like, and I feel like that's what business is and it's really straightforward. Are you making money and is it profitable? Then like, great, you're, you're doing a good job. Um, a plus. yeah, exactly. And that is actually so, I mean, it's like, it's terrible and painful when you're not making money, but when you are like, but I don't know, I just, I think, I think it has tons of problems. And obviously there's issues and like things people don't pay for that they should pay for and et cetera, et cetera. But that said, as far as these things go, it's one of the most sort of straightforward, pure, like, especially when you're selling directly to your end user. Um, I think it's a really, really healthy, positive relationship that I really value. Well, I could not agree more. And I so, so appreciate you making the time and taking the time. And I only have Two more quick questions. One, uh, super curious about, uh, I read an article talking about your favorite backpacking trip in Iceland. Oh, and it's funny. I just went was. on another one. Did you really? <laughs> Which is now supplanted the first one. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Oh. Okay. So where, where was it? And give me the, give me the 30 seconds on that. I'm super curious. Yeah. So, um, the backpacking trip I just went on was in Hornstranted, it's called. Hornstranted is like how you probably say it in English. Um, yeah. it is a nature preserve in the most sort of Northwestern part of Iceland, which is the Western fjords. Um, and it's incredibly remote. There's no roads in the entire place. There's no roads to get there. The only way to get there is by boat. Um, and we, we, this summer, my dad, um, took, me, myself and, um, my husband and my brother and his girlfriend and, uh, my uncle and aunt and cousin came also. Um, and basically what you do is you get dropped off in a fjord and then you hike over a mountain and on the Northern coast of the, this nature reserve, there's a lighthouse and then you stay at the lighthouse, which is so much nicer than camping. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
And so you pack everything in to the lighthouse and then you do two days of day trips and then you pack everything back out on the fourth day. And it was literally the four best days of my life. It was unbelievable. And it was actually, it was, so I've been running skill crush for five days or five years and it was the first four days that I've been completely disconnected in the time that I've run skill crush. And really it was incredible. And it just, just so, it's so funny. Cause like, you know, I'm, have some workaholic tendencies and I like to think about how, Oh, I should go on vacation. And when I think about vacation, I'm like, Oh, I should go to like Tahiti and like sit on the beach. Um, but in my experience, actually like beach vacations don't really do it for me. Cause I just end up yeah. sort of like on the beach being agitated. Um, <laughs> so I just, I sort of re remembered on this trip that like really backpacking is just so good because you're in nature, but you're also occupied. Yes. So you're doing something and that just make that just completely allows your mind to just completely check out. I love uh, that. Love that. Feeling. And it was amazing. And yeah, I would recommend it. I think it can be a little dicey with, uh, weather to go up there. And I definitely recommend that you do a tour, like have a guided tour cause there, um, are almost no trails. So you really have to, especially when you're packing in, that was the day where there was literally not a trail. So you really have to know where you're going. Um, but I really would, I mean, it was life changing to go there. So I would really recommend it for anyone who's thinking about a trip to Iceland. That is awesome. And I'm so glad I asked. And for my, my only last question is people that want to learn more about you and more about skill crush, where can they go? Where can, how can they get do <laughs> Yes. We have an awesome, um, newsletter. We have an enormous yeah. amount of downloadable eBooks. Um, for free. And we actually are launching our very own podcast, which is very exciting and very nerve wracking at the same time. So, um, if you go Welcome to, to com, yeah, for forward slash podcast, you can uh, sign up to learn about more about that. I know I didn't get the opportunity to ask you lots of questions about podcasting. Um, well, we're I'm very, we're like an infant, that. we're in the infant sta- stage. Yeah. So any way that, uh, that we can be of help, we, uh, we, we, we kind of love doing it. So yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of them. I was really impressed with how many podcast episodes you've done. Oh my goodness. They add up. Jeez. You start doing that. Like we don't even produce that frequently. I have a lot of friends that produce three, four times a week and you know. Oh wow. Yeah. I I can't even. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to help anyway. I I thank you so very, very much. I appreciate you, you taking the time and this has been super fun. It was such a pleasure. I love, I mean, I love to talk to anyone who wants to talk to me about business and technology and all that stuff. So it really, the pleasure was all mine. Hey, if you enjoyed that episode with Ada, then I want to say, first of all, thanks for listening. And second of all, you can go over to happentoyourcareer.com slash 197. That's happentoyourcareer.com forward slash 197 and be able to download our, our guide on remote work. And I think you're going to absolutely love that. Head on over there right now. Plus get everything that we talked about here in the show as well. And thanks so much for going over to iTunes and Stitcher. So many of you have done that. We still have 100% positive ratings 
and reviews on iTunes. And I'm so excited about that. We appreciate the, we appreciate the feedback. We appreciate your expressing your support, but more than that, we very much appreciate you taking the time to help other people find the show because every single rating and review, it pushes us further in the rankings. And that means more people are going to find us and be able to get to work that they love. And that's kind of what we're all about around here. So very much appreciate that. Here's another review, by the way. This one comes from AR1980. Love this show. I always learn something listening to this show, and it compels me to think more deeply about my choices and how I could be more intentional about creating a life I love. Well, we absolutely are thrilled to pieces that that you are listening and we love to have you here. So we'll keep, we'll keep giving you things to be able to think more deeply about your choices. So head on over to iTunes. We'd love for you to be able to share a little bit more about that, but we've got even more for you coming up right here next week on happened to your career. And that was just the start of the journey. And it was hard because it was such a different way of teaching with the fitness world. It was all just cheerleading and rah-rah and very upbeat. And this was like helping people calm down and it was just totally different. But I liked it. Something about it, I mean, it was my favorite thing that I did. I think because I saw people release so much stress in such a short amount of time. All right, all that. Plenty more. We'll see you next Monday on Happened to Your Career. Until then, I am out. Adios. Hey, HTYCers, this is Joshua Rivers. I am coming to you here at the end of the episode to let you know that we are really working on episode number 200 that's coming up very, very soon. And we are trying to do something special to be able to surprise Scott. And so we're trying to assemble a lot of different things. And what we would really love to be able to do is be able to get feedback from you. So the way you can be able to do that is go to happentoyourcareer.com slash VM for voicemail happentoyourcareer.com slash VM. That will allow you to be able to record a short voice message and you can leave a message for Scott and that would be something that would be really appreciative. So you can, uh, I guess, whatever feedback you want. And so you can make some kind of comment about the podcast, some way that the podcast has helped you. Say thank you to Scott for all the work that he's put in over the last several years to be able to make it to episode 200 of this podcast. And so I know that would be something that we can be able to do to really show our appreciation for Scott. Many of us that are working on the HTYC team have actually been a result of listening to the podcast and working with Scott. And now we are working with him so we can be able to help you. And so we definitely all would appreciate being able to hear from you and then we'd be able to get your voice on the podcast as well. And who knows who your voice might be able to help. And so that is what I would like to leave you with today. Again, you can go to happentoyourcareer.com slash VM.